Thank you, Heather, for the for the welcome, and it's uh, good to be here and to, to share with you today. And uh, I, I don't need to thank you for the invitation because um, I invited myself. Um, having known Paul Downey for about thirty five plus years, uh, which he might say is too long, uh, it uh, was just a good chance for me and. Uh, to uh, be able to say to Paul, hey, would, would you preach at Barham this Sunday? Um, for those of you who want, yes, I'm, I'm the new guy at Barham. All right, good. Okay. Thank you for that underwhelming response. Uh, and so I, Paul will be speaking at our induction, which is on the 14th of uh, March. And so I thought I'd just give the people at Barham a chance to get a taste of him. Uh, and then... Uh, and so I offered to preach here for him. I think I invited myself, so that's good. I was here 10 years ago. I worked in the Kerrang Flood Recovery Centre. Um, I was at the time pastoring the, the Koryong Baptist Church, where I was the uh, police chaplain in the town uh, with Vic Pohl and chaplain to Ambulance Victoria and chaplain to the CFA. And I was also the, the community chaplain with the Department of Human Services. That came about in 2006, actually, when I was living at Gisborne, I was the, the pastor of the Gisborne Church of Christ, and Steve Brax, who was the then Premier of Victoria, sent a message to the uh, Victorian Council of Churches uh, as they were nearing the, the Commonwealth Games. He said, uh, would there be any ministers who might have some spare time huh? um, who could help us out if the bomb went off at the MCG? And uh, I, it was a lot smaller church than where I'd been. I was the senior pastor of the Bendigo Church of Christ for eight years. And, and I thought, oh, I could probably do that. So I, I put up my hand and went and did the training and uh, nothing happened. And no, I didn't get any tickets to the swimming, much to my dismay. Uh, but uh, that's where I was. And so they rang me up and said, would you come to Kerrang for, for a week? And so I, I arrived and uh, I'd thrown the sleeping bag and an old camp mattress in the back of the hatch. And I thought, if I've got to sleep in the back of the car, my feet will be poking between the uh, bucket seats. Uh, it didn't that didn't have to happen? I, uh, they said, "Oh no, we'll, we'll find a bed for you." When I first arrived, I thought, "Great, this will be terrific." And they said, "We'll see if we can find one in the nurses' quarters." And I thought that could be interesting. Um, and then they said there, 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 there was no vacancy, and so I, I ended up. I, I got a bed with uh, friends of mine down at Pyramid Hill, who happened to be Arthur's brother and his wife, uh, David and Lorraine. And so that was that was a good time. But I remember coming back, each, driving up each day, and coming past the, the caravan park fence, and you'd see the the water would drop about this much every day. And I thought, my. And it was just a week of just sharing with people and just trying to comfort and encourage them uh, in a really really difficult time. And we'd already been well. I'd been through that in Koryong through through the massive bushfires that they'd had up there. And so uh, it, it it's it's a difficult time, and there's no handbook really on chaplaincy you you just got to work it out as you go along a bit you've got to be open to what God wants for you for the last six years I've actually been the chaplain to the funeral director in Albury Wodonga and uh, people don't come and see a funeral director on the best day of their lives they come and see the funeral director on the worst day in their lives uh, nobody walks in and says hey it's a great day today mum's died uh, you just have to be there for people and uh, and everybody's different and every family's different uh, which can make life very interesting, I can assure you. So it's, it's great to be here and we're looking forward to coming to, to Barham. We live in Albury at the moment. Uh, we came here via Bendigo where our, our 
our kids live and our grandchildren. It was our granddaughter's birthday, so we went and said hello to her and ate cake, far too much of it, uh, and then came here to, to share with you this morning. So trust uh, this will be a, a time of blessing. Great, great that you made it to church today, it really is. I, I think whatever gets you into church is a, is a really good thing. Heard about a, a little nun who used to uh, get up every morning and put a habit on and she worked for a Catholic healthcare agency and she'd drive around in a little car and uh, visit sick people in their homes. And one particular day she was uh, doing her rounds and her, her car ran out of petrol a couple of blocks short of the petrol station. So she walked down to the petrol station and she said to the man, can I, uh, can I borrow a can uh, for some petrol? And the man said, well, I'm sorry, the can's being used at the moment. Well, not wanting to waste time, she walked back to her car and rummaged around in the boot for the largest receptacle she could find, which happened to be a bedpan. <laughs> Taking the bedpan back to the service station, she fills it up with petrol. Here's a nun walking along the side of the road carrying a bedpan. There are two workmen in a truck on the side of the road eating their lunch, watching a nun carrying a bedpan. They see she gets to the back of the car, takes the fuel cap off, tips the contents into the tank. One workman turns to the other and says, I am not a religious man, but if that car starts, I'm going to church on Sunday. <laughs> now, if that's the reason why you're here today, God bless you. Um, God wants to help people. He wants to encourage us. He wants to bless us so that we might be a blessing to another. So just before we share something from the word together, let's take a moment to pray. Father, today we say thank you for your love for us, which is vast and great. Today we just ask that as we open your word and share it together, you'd speak into our hearts and to our lives and encourage us to be all that it is that you want us to be. We just bring to you today that the vast family of God and we pray for today for those who are just struggling in this time with, with, with the dramas of lockdown and COVID. We pray today for those who are suffering and those who are, who are grieving. We just ask today that you might just surround them, comfort them and uphold them and be to them all that they need in this time. And for that we say thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today marks the start of the church year. I um, don't know whether you're aware of it, but the church year only has 10 months these days. If you haven't got everything done by the end of November, you're not going to get it done because December and January are sort of write-offs and so the church year sort of starts today, about the start of, start of February. So thinking about the start of the year, uh, this verse in Psalm 108 came to mind. Psalm 108 verse 13, Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And Christians love that verse. We really do. It's a great verse. We love the first part and we love the last part. But often we tend to want God to fulfill our part in the middle as well. Through God, we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. In Matthew chapter 4, we read this. Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. James says in James 1, Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Now, if we were to look at the life of Ezekiel as we find him in chapter 37, in the passage that Heather read to us, we see that God speaks into Ezekiel's life 
and gives him instruction and gives Ezekiel the opportunity to do valiantly. Ezekiel humbly receives the word that God gives him and the result is significant to say the least. Here was the perfect chance, the perfect opportunity for God to prove his sovereignty, his might and his power. And while speaking to Ezekiel, he could have just said to Ezekiel, Zeke, you just park yourself on a rock there and you just watch what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to raise up these bones, put them back together, provide flesh for them and then life for them. And Ezekiel would have been absolutely gobsmacked as he watched. Absolutely. Blown away. But God didn't do that. He says to Ezekiel, you speak to the bones. You speak to the bones. You direct them to come to life. Bit awesome, isn't it? But that's the way God works. Always has. I mean, why is God asking Ezekiel to do that? Surely he could have done that. That's the way he works. He tells Noah to build an ark and then go out and get all the animals. Well, God could have herded them up, surely. He tells Moses to go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. Finally, the people get to the Red Sea and he told Moses, raise up your staff, stretch it out over the water, and it divided. Now, why couldn't God have done that? They get to Marah, the people are thirsty, the water's bitter. So Moses goes to God. Moses consults God and God tells him to put the tree in the water and it became sweet. Why couldn't God have done that? After all, Moses was the one that went to him. And then God makes Moses do all the work. Through God, we will do valiantly. For it is he who sheltered down our enemies. In Mark chapter 6, if you've got your finger in the spot of Ezekiel 37, keep it there. You can turn to Mark 6 if you like. Very familiar passage about the feeding of the 5,000. We find that uh, Jesus sends out his disciples in Mark 6 in the early part of the chapter to touch people's lives and change communities as a result of all of that. And in verse 30, we find that they've returned and they, they sit around and they tell Jesus all the exciting things that they've accomplished for the kingdom. And then Jesus says to them, let's go off for a few quiet days by ourselves. And they think, hey, this is a pretty good idea. And so they do. And they get in the boat and they head off, but the crowd's seeing what's happening They run off ahead of them, and they're there to meet them when they pull up at the jetty. And Jesus takes one look at the crowd, and he has compassion on them. He sees them as sheep wandering aimlessly through life, so he starts teaching them. And the disciples at this point may well have been privately seething. He's going to do this compassion thing again. This was meant to be our time with him, not theirs. What's he doing? How are we going to get rid of them? That was the plan. That was the thinking. So they come to Jesus with hearts filled with compassion. And they say to Jesus, these people have been here for a long time and they're hungry. They may well faint if they don't get some sustenance. Why? And we have such a heart for these people. 
why don't we just let them go now so they can go back into the town and get food for themselves? Hearts filled with compassion. And Jesus comes out with a reply that they didn't expect. He says to them, you feed them. That was his word to them, the word that he planted in their hearts. Humbly receive the word that is planted in your hearts. Maybe they were just expecting him to say, just kidding, I'll do it. But he doesn't. And so they say, well, looking at the size of the crowd, that's impossible. It's a bit like raising up a valley full of dry bones, isn't it, really? And he says to them, well, you know, what have you got? Let's start with what you've got. They said, well, we've, we've got a kid's lunch. He said, great, all right, we'll start with that. And that's the way God operates. Moses complains bitterly to God. He said, you know, you haven't given me staff and you haven't given me resources. You haven't given me this. You haven't given me that. How am I meant to do it? And God says to Moses, well, what have you got? He said, well, I've got my stick. He said, all right, well, let's start with that. God starts with where we are. He starts with what we've got. Matter of interest, let me ask you a question. And I'm sorry, I don't have any minties to give us a prize. Just hold those. I'll talk later. How many were there in the multitude? Who can tell me? 5,000. 5,000 men. Correct. Give that man a gold star. 5,000 men. You see, the women and the children, they weren't considered worthy of counting. They didn't come into the figures. It's interesting to note that the one who didn't count was the one who provided the means for the miracle. The one who didn't count, whose society was thought was not worth it, was the one who provided the means for the miracle. If society has told you that you're not worthy of a mention, then think again, because God thinks you're worthy, and he will use the one that society doesn't consider to be of value to bring about his purposes. So how does this miracle happen? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, Jesus prays over the boy's lunch and it multiplies. Simple as that. At the point where Jesus is praying this prayer of blessing over the boy's lunch, how much food is there? Who can tell me? You can speak? Five loaves and two fish. So he's praying over these five loaves and two fish and when he gets to the end of the prayer and says amen or whatever he says at the end of it, how much food does he have? Five loaves and two fish. As I read it, as I read the passage and I see what happens, I notice that Jesus doesn't pray and then kaboom, this great mountain of food appears and the disciples dip into it and share it around. Jesus prays over it, he blesses it and then breaks the lunch into 12 and he hands it to the disciples. And I can just imagine the disciples saying, You are kidding. You are kidding. Jesus prays over it, blesses it, breaks it up, breaks it into 12, hands it to the disciples. As they are obedient to the word that was spoken to them, you feed them. 
the food begins to multiply and not before. Through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. As Ezekiel did what God asked of him, the dry bones started the transformation process and not before. Question for you. I'm full of questions. Sorry. Won't apologise for it. Four crows are sitting on a barbed wire fence. Three crows decide to fly away. How many crows sitting on the barbed wire fence? Somebody say four. Give that man a, yeah, give that man a minty too. Four. Four crows sitting on a fence. Three decide to fly away. How many left on the fence? Four. Because until they actually decide to do it, nothing happens. They're still there. Until they decide to act on the decision that they make, they're still there. Nothing happens until the decision is acted upon. When God speaks his word into our lives, nothing is going to happen until we humbly receive it and act upon it. Jack Taylor is a, a man well known in Southern Baptist American circles in that movement and a man is often quoted in that movement. And he says in regard to us acting on the word that God gives us, whether it be by a written word or by expounding the word through a sermon or a teaching or by God simply speaking into our lives, he says this, along with the instruction also comes the means. Along with the instruction also comes the means. It makes sense, doesn't it? It's a package deal. Ezekiel is facing a mountain. It's about as big as they come. A pile of dry bones, no flesh, no skin, muscle, hair, bone, etc. And God says, speak life into them. I imagine the hair on the back of Ezekiel's neck stood up as he heard the bones starting to rattle and then there was a transformation and skin happened, but there was no life. Ezekiel had been faithful. He had done what he was asked. He had spoken and it had happened, but only in part. Here were a whole lot of bodies, but no life. They'd been renewed, but no inner life, no spirit. In Genesis 2, we see something similar. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God created him and then breathed life into him. In Ezekiel 37, verse 9 we read, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, son of man. That word breath in the Hebrew can be equally translated as wind or spirit. Now just bear that in mind as we have a look at these passages from the New Testament. In John 20, verse 21 and 2, we read this. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In uh, Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, we read this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and they were and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can you see a picture unfolding here? God creates man. He has a form, has a body, but no life. God breathes life into him. 
The disciples are scared out of their brain. Their lives are achieving zilch. Jesus comes and breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, God comes again to the disciples in hiding and releases his spirit. And now not only is the spirit with them, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are immersed in the presence and the power of God and they become empowered people and they come alive. Through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Ezekiel speaks to the bones. He speaks the word of the Lord. The bones are transformed, but they are still lifeless. And so in verse 9, we read again, Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel speaks to the spirit, appeals for the spirit to come upon these lifeless ones so that they may live again. Can you see two separate stages here? Firstly, he speaks to the bones, telling them to listen up and hear what God has to say. You know, he must have thought this is just like a normal working day. He he was always speaking to lifeless people, uh, urging them to listen to God. There was an effect after he'd spoken to the bones. It was quite incredible, totally remarkable, but it was limited. And if that was all that was to be achieved on that day, then little had been accomplished for God on that day. But then secondly, the direction of his prophesying changes. Perhaps in the first scenario, one might equate his prophesying to the bones with that of preaching. The second, with prayer. He speaks to the Spirit. He implores the Spirit to come and fill these lifeless beings for God to finish the miracle that he had started to come and breathe in man's nostrils the breath of life. This time the effect was mind-blowing. What preaching had failed to accomplish in total, prayer made a reality. The restoration had come about as a result of Ezekiel's faithfulness. His obedience was only partial. The Spirit made the transformation and the restoration complete. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Don't just listen to God's word, live it out. As we start this church year, what is it that God's speaking into your life today? What's the word he wants you to humbly receive to live out? Because God wants to use you and he wants to use me. He will use the one that society doesn't consider worthy to bring about the miracle. Humbly receive the word that God's giving you. For through God, we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Let's pray together. Father, today I want to say thank you for all of my friends here. And I say thank you for the love that they have for you. Today I pray that you would encourage them greatly as they seek to hear the word that you're planting in their hearts. As they seek to take a step to act on that and live that out. Lord, I pray that you would bless them greatly so that they would be a blessing to all that you bring across their path. And for that, I say thank you. Lord, I ask for your blessing to be upon this church in this year that's ahead. 
You, Lord, I, I pray that as Paul and Anne uh, lead, lead your people here, that uh, they would lead them into a, into a time of fruitfulness and, and a time of growth and a time of being able to say, hasn't the Lord done something wonderful in our midst? So, Lord, I commit them all to you, and I say, you th- say thank you for each and every person here and their families. In Jesus' precious name, I ask it all. Amen.